Selena, there were these two young fish swimming along, and they happened to meet an older fish swimming the other way. This older fish, being the gentleman that he was, nodded at them and said, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young boys, the young fish, swam on for a, a few more seconds, and they eventually looked at one another, and one of them says to the other one, What the heck is water? <laughs> it's a parable. A guy by the name of David Foster Wallace, he, he said that in a speech at one point. And the whole point of it is, is we don't oftentimes know the water we're swimming in. Mm. That's what this whole series been, has been about. But there's, I, I, I contend that there is no thicker substrate that saturates our society than postmodernism. Mm. And so today we're going to fly at about 150,000 feet. <laughs> it's a pretty big topic. We're not going to bore you with all the details, but we do want to inform you. What is postmodernism? How is it informing our current mm. situation? Namely, potentially how our children are thinking about reality itself. The nature of truth, yeah. the nature of reason. Yeah. How can we be aware of those things as parents? And how can we disciple them to be dissidents in a culture that has embraced postmodernism, hook, line, and sinker? How's that to use dip two different fishing metaphors? Look at you, <laughs> just putting those metaphors <laughs> front anyway, and back. There we go. We'll see you on the other side. So, Selena, what is postmodernism? <laughs> just quickly, just Gosh. tell me. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. <laughs> uh, no, the Post reason, uh, meaning after modernism. You know <laughs> what? Kidding. You nailed it. That's exactly what it is. Word power. We are in a right postmodern there. world because modernism came first, <laughs> namely uh, the Enlightenment version of modernism. But yeah, this is one of those words that we you'll hear, you'll talk about it, you'll kind of throw it out there if you're feeling your, your oats. But do we actually know what it is? Do we Can understand we define it? Yeah. It? Can we define it? And I contend that postmodernism is one of the most arrogant ideas in the history of ideas and that it claims, it claims truth in a way that is so brazen while also rejecting every hmm. foundation of truth that, that we've come to know. In other words, the postmodern will say that the only absolute truth is that there are no truths. Now, how, how asinine is that? And I, we've heard that one a lot. But So why are we talking about this in Fierce Parenting? Well, because it saturates our culture and our kids are going to grow up in this culture. And the ideas will shift like recently in the last five. Well, it's 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 come to the I think it's come to a boil once again <clears throat> in our lifetime. Well, and it's, then you'll it's see. become this kind of hybrid of postmodernism right. and Marxism, which yes. is has to do with how you view class, oppression, political, utopian right. the aspiration. Right. And how to fix it alongside this idea that there's no like objective truth. This is why we see things. I, I saw something today. Like it, thank, thankfully it was satire, but it said that um, I think some English British publishing company said they were going to, they were going to update Orwell's 1984 to be a little bit more palatable to like <laughs> modern ears. <laughs> Gosh. I, I think that was a joke. I'm pretty sure that was a joke. Cause I mean, how I don't know. Orwellian I, would that be? Well, I know I've been reading though, how it's good to collect, not collect, but yeah, yeah like old purchase old of, books and used books because yeah. they are already changing. Well, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, edit Roald Rudyard, Dahl. Yeah, Roald Dahl because he, he referenced Rudyard Kipling or Rudyard Kipling, however yeah. you say his name. Um, so the, we, we live in this it's world. It's amazing that, the things we. Yeah. 
And so then that comes from the idea that, okay, there's oppressed and oppressors, and this guy happens to be on the side of the oppressors. And also words don't really mean what the author means. The words mean what the reader reads into them. them, So let's go ahead and just change that so that it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. When most people with their sanity will say like, I'm an adult enough to just wade through that mire and not get my feelings hurt and not feel like the world's out to get me. Yeah, absolutely. And how does that, I mean, it makes you smarter and sharper to be able to understand what the author was writing and intending in terms of a story and work through that, find and understand that you have truth within you. You have truth at your hands, your fingertips, God's word. I just... You can't appease everybody and every emotion and whim. And that the story was not written to appease you. It was written to tell a story and to make a truth, to highlight a truth <laughs> and, and, and also, give you an experience. I think writers will have agendas and their agendas will be flawed Absolutely. and they will have Absolutely. flawed worldviews. And you know what? That, you like, let the cards it. fall where they will and, and either don't buy the book, don't read the book or read it, but don't change what the author said. <laughs> That's a bone I pick with write people own, on Twitter all the time. Write your own book. The people on Twitter are like, hey, it's an economic thing. I'm like, I don't care if it's economic. Anyway, don't do it. Okay, so we need to define postmodernism. So uh, again, this is coming from a book that we're working on. This is a series uh, called Discipling Dissidents. And the whole aim of this series is to help parents think in ways that we can disciple our kids, not just for them to survive and make it, yeah. but so that they can disciple their children in a way that their children disciple than their children. Right. So we're thinking about our great, great grandkids in terms of how probably... we're thinking about these topics and then presenting them to our children and raising them up in a way that they can be faithful dissidents in a culture averse to the Lordship of Christ. Yep. That's the whole mission of this series. It's eternal work right here. And so as I'm, it is, and, and we'll be dead and gone. What hopefully by the time people are applying this stuff. <laughs> um, no, it applies today because you have to, understand okay, it. But I'm targeting great, know, great grandkids with this. Okay. So, here, so I'm going to read some of this and this is because we want to try to define postmodernism clearly. <laughs> and so here's the headline, putting the moron in oxymoron. <laughs> There's a little bit of bite. I was laughing. There's a little it's bit good. of bite to this chapter. So you have to bear with me. And you can't rewrite it. All right. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. Let the reader know. <laughs> Let it be that known. Way. Let it be known. <laughs> Shouldn't it be known if you're writing a book and that's you how it think. is? <laughs> but now there's a video. You have to say, let it be known. Now with, yeah. Okay. So here's, here's what it says in, ter- in terms of defining postmodernism. The irony of defining postmodernism is that, is that one of its core outcomes is the lack of definition itself. Mm. Defining postmodernism defies logic. By definition is a term that evades defining because it cancels itself out. Defining postmodernism is an imperative with a slippery skin. For whom am I defining it? Under which relative experience shall I define it? And once I do define it, do my words mean what you think they mean? Hmm. Do they mean to you what I meant them to mean? Hmm. So indeed, it's a heavy lift. Postmodernism is a worldview that believes absolutely, get that, in no absolutes. It roots interpretation in the fact that there can be no definite interpretation. It builds on the foundation of, quote, no foundations allowed. Postmodernism in a world, in a word, is nonsense, akin to an oxymoron like plastic silverware, minor miracles, or acting natural. <laughs> Still, somehow the tenets of postmodernism surround us, and those with eyes to see are not surprised by what it has precipitated. What are some of the things that postmodernism has precipitated in our culture, Selena? Uh, men transforming into women, or thinking they can be women. They are not, and they never will be. Uh, you said recessions are no longer recessions. 
I'm talking about the recent, uh, that will probably not make it in the book, but <laughs> we've had a recession in the U S but yes. because like the, the, the feds basically said, well, it's that really a recession. Like, yeah, it's a recession. Yeah. But I'm just not calling it that because it hurts your political agenda. Well, people, um, people can be animals now. They can kind so, of yeah, live whatever I see people on, on truth see the that they want to live and be people that are saying like, I'm no longer he, she, or they, them or whatever. It's I'm, dog dog self or something uh. something like that and they want people to respect their you know their identity no <laughs> and so it's this idea of living your truth of course we've talked about you can't about that ask me to lie to you that is very unloving of me to do so i will not do it <laughs> so to understand postmodernism, we need to understand these ideas of ontology and epistemology mm. now these are philosophical By ontology terms. you mean uh, ontology is the study of existence or the studying of being. So okay. like if you talk about the ontology of God, you're talking about like the nature of God or how, how does God exist? Okay. And then by epistemology, it's the, it's the, um, basically, uh, the study of knowledge. So okay. how do we know what we know and how do we know what we know Good is job. knowable? Good job. Just testing you. So our Christian presuppositions, <laughs> epistemologically speaking, are that God is God. He is creator. We are creature. Mm-hmm. We are not him. We cannot become him. Mm. We cannot know what he knows in the way that he knows them. That is like the core of the Christian worldview mm. is that we say to God, you're God, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Help. Okay. And that's the gospel. Help. <laughs> He's given us the help <laughs> in, in the incarnation and, you know, yeah. the resurrection. And epistemologically speaking, when we approach knowledge, okay, so people will approach even the Christian worldview with two basic Hmm. knowledge mm-hmm. uh, presuppositions. The first one is I'm going to take God at his word because he's God. And so I, I have to presuppose that he is the creator and right. I'm operating as someone who's created. I cannot think outside of the what fact that I'm created. Yes. Therefore I'm rooted in, in God ultimately. Well, to approach another approach is, and this would be like the, uh, uh I think it's, I forget the word, but it's not presuppositional. I think it's evidential. Evidentialism would say that, well, there is the ability to reason and I should be able to reason outside. So reason exists outside of who hmm. God is and I can reason into existence and, and God into existence. So I, I can believe in God because I can reason him. So you've subjected God now to human reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're presuppositionalists. I think it's necessary. And so... In terms of postmodernism, we are we find ourselves in the day and age that we're in, and this is this will probably be edited out because they're big words, but we've caught we've caught ourselves in an ontological and epistemological rat's nest. Except for this time, the rat has died and has since been ID'd as the carrier of the bubonic plague. <laughs> so it's a pretty nasty place we're, we're in, and our entire our entire way of knowing has been turned inside out by this. And I, should I say this? Not on this podcast, okay. no. <laughs> There's a, there's a, there's a serrated edge in this book. So you have to, you know, buyer beware, <laughs> but okay. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm describing like how we're the trouble we're facing as we're trying to define postmodernism. You're right. We're going to move on here because I don't want to spend yeah. too much more time here, but Webster's Dic- dictionary defines it as this. And I went to Webster's while we still can postmodernism. Oh, I bought one. We got one. <laughs> Did you get the old one? I think we got the old one. So postmodernism noun. Of relating to or being a theory that involves a radical reappraisal of modern assumptions about culture, identity, history, or language. Hmm. And one has to wonder, 
How do they reappraise modern assumptions about language while simultaneously using the language they're reappraising? <laughs> See what I'm saying? You can right. get away with it for a little bit, but eventually... It doesn't go that far. Your saw cuts clean through the branch upon right. which you sit. In mm-hmm. other words, you're... You, Postmodernism is, is completely arrogant. We say we have, they have the solution to everything. And by the way, the solution is get rid of everything. Nothing means anything to anyone. Hmm. Therefore, anything can mean everything to everyone. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> so I, I, I'm sorry for all of the mentions of postmodernism. Well, it, it's a very tiring word to say, let alone a concept <laughs> to think about. So here's how I define it. I say it's a relativistic interpretive philosophy. So relativistic meaning it's not absolute. It's based on subjective interpretation, mm. experience and judgment. Uh, it's, it's, it's interpretive, meaning that it's the lens through which we view our reality. We make sense of the world, including these big, big important things, religion, literature, art, morality, beauty, identity, metaphysics even, just to name a few. And then finally, relativistic interpretive philosophy. I mean, that's a theory of knowledge and existence. So this relativistic interpretive philosophy of postmodernism is the thing that's shaping our culture and shaming our, and, and namely shaping our academic institutions. So if you have a kid in a public school, he's going to, they're going to learn with postmodern presuppositions. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to ask you know, Sally, what does the scarlet letter mean to you? Not what did the author right. intend for it to mean? Yeah. How do you interpret this, these events in history? Hmm. What happened? What, what, you know, and so Which it ends up dangerous. being a very subjective thing. And so, uh, and I'll just skip ahead here. So there's basically, there's a bunch of themes. I'll, I'll recommend to you a book. It's called Understanding Postmodernism. It's by these two authors, Kelly and Dew. Um, their last names are Kelly and Dew. <laughs> I was like, sweet. Stuart Kelly. Or, yeah, Stuart Kelly. I don't know what Dew's first name is. <laughs> D-E-W. D-E-W. They wrote a book, um, Understanding Postmodernism. It's a Christian book, and it's basically helping us kind of calibrate postmodernism in light of the Christian worldview. And they have 10 of these themes that they pick out. I'm only going to go through five. Well, on how you can Some respond. Of are different. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how you can respond. Uh, the first theme that well, I guess we'll just talk through these in tandem. Um, cause I want to get through this in one episode and we're uh, what, 16 minutes in. So we'll go through this quickly and then we'll talk about how we can disciple dissidents in spite of these okay. postmodernist themes. Okay. The first one is deconstruction of truth the deconstruction of truth. Um, I, I, th- I think this is the greatest threat that postmodernism presents to our young, moldable Christian minds. Yeah. It's not only truth, but what is, so what is the nature of truth or what is the purpose of truth? Mm. So very, very briefly, it's all relative, of course, but truth can't really be known. So it's something to be said about how postmodernists view human capacity to reason. And so there's, that's another theme that can be explored, but, um, Basically, I'll just say this, truth is relative to the one experiencing the truth and interpretation is basically very subjective. This is what they believe. About truth. When they're trying to, okay. And by the way, any truth claim, the purpose of that truth claim is basically therapy. Hmm. Uh, I need to feel better Hmm. about myself. Right. So you can see where this begins to create issues. Problems and unravel. Right. Um, I'm going to blast past that one back to to theme number two or onward to theme number two identity. So truth is Hmm. deconstructed or relative identity is eternally, excuse me, internally sourced. Well, because you're deconstructing truth because you are, it is your truth now and it's not anyone else's. You can then 
begin being whatever you want to be, right? Yeah, I'll just read this part because it's fairly short. Under postmodern thinking and in hypermodern terms, one who authentically, i.e. truthfully lives, quote unquote, their truth is said to have reached the pinnacle of human self-actualization. Hmm. You're living your most authentic self, right? We hear that all the time. People are celebrated for having some revelation about <laughs> who they really want to be, right? And how dare you not celebrate with them? Because it's their truth. How dare you be oppressive so with your truth? It's so like first world. <laughs> because the identity, it, right, it is very first world. It's very Western. Um, they have aspired to what Chesterton calls, a, quote, small and cramped eternity. And what he means by that is that they, uh, it's their, their definition of reality is circular and it's, it's solid in their own way, but it's not referential to a larger thing. So they mm. have a small and cramped eternity. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, self-terminating. Hmm. Chesterton is a lot more, um, well, here's what he says. He says, uh, uh, though their definition of a circle is as round as the entire world, its size, this is me. And I'll quote Chesterton later. Though their definition of a circle is as round as the entire world, it's big. It's, it's as round, I should say. Its size is closer to the circumference of a sewer pipe than that of the planet. This is Chesterton. He says, quote, the lunatic's theory explains a large number of things, but it does not explain them in a large way. Mm. Right. So the whole point is, is it's, it's internally sourced and it's completely detached from the largeness of our society, the largeness, namely of, of God's created order. You have a greater identity to be had, but you need to look outside of yourself. You need to look to Christ. Uh, theme number three, the denaturing of natures. Yeah, I found this funny because uh, de to denature something means this, to take away or alter the natural qualities of it or to, and this is the biochemical, um, excuse me, this is the, there's another word, make unfit for drinking by the addition of toxic or foul tasting substances. That's how you denature something. Well, what are they denaturing? They're, they're questioning um, basically the reason of, exist or excuse me, the, uh, the nature of existence of mm. anything. So here's, um, I'll use the, I'll, I'll start here specifically in terms of human nature. Now this could be applied to virtually any nature, like in terms of like, what's the nature of this desk? What's the nature of this video? What's the nature of like, what is the, the essence of it? In this line of thinking, there's no such thinking thing. Excuse me. There's no such thing as human nature, only societal construction. Okay. So human nature is arbitrary. It's not fixed. It's something that is contrived within society. Hmm. This allows man to construct whatever human nature they determine. This, it was thought, would allow mankind to be utterly free of unnecessary societal constraint and therefore live better, happier, more fulfilling lives. It, of course, is rooted in the firm conviction of the belief that mankind is basically good and given enough time, money, brain power, and the right political landscape, he can solve any problem that comes his way. This flies in the face of biblical Christianity. Um. Our nature is not that our nature is, is so there's a, uh, the doctrine of man. Basically we'll touch on that briefly at the end. Is it, any of this making sense? What do you think? Yeah. I'm just kind of along for the ride here. I'm trying to, I'm sorry. I'm trying to connect. I think you should go through why this, how do we disciple? Yeah. Why does it apply things? to parents today? <laughs> I'm just trying to, I know you're unpacking it. Our kids are it. going to be inclined to believe these things How? if they're what in the world. What does that look like? How do they believe them? How does, so you say in public schools, they are going to be college, taught under these. And in the college, in, in what does that look like? What are they, the I mean, more than just Friends. a man wants to be a woman. Like what, what other I mean, examples you are you going to. You don't have to be a radical, uh, you know, 
trans activist to come across this ideology is what, is what, I, okay. is what you so want to hear. Yeah, there's a spectrum, I imagine. To how the house how radical it can, comes across. Yeah. So what would well, be, I mean, I, maybe is there a more subtle example that you. I mean, it, we, we work in the marriage space. Okay. A wife is having a hard time. She's saying, you know, my husband's not loving me the way that he should, the way I deserve to be loved. Okay. What is the nature of marriage? Mm-hmm. What's the nature of the covenant that you made? Right. What's the nature of love? What is your husband? What's the nature of a husband? What's right. the nature of a wife? And if you can't come to, if you a so, deconstruct that and rebuild your own truth that night, that neither of you can come into agreement or understand, or like uh, right. say you're okay with, there's going to be, and so you'll have a friend of that wife come to her and say, honey, you deserve better. You're better. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're saying like she has human worth. Yeah. No one's debating that. You deserve to be happy. Hmm. What's the nature of happiness? You deserve to live your truth. Hmm. That marriage is done. Is it? What's the nature of marriage? What's the nature of that covenant? Mm. Can we dissolve something that God put together? Can right. man put asunder what God is? Right. Okay. So these are important things to understand for our kids because they'll, they'll, they come up in subtle ways. Right. right. They're not going to, it's not like somebody's going to be snacking them in the face and right. saying like, blue, blue is green and two plus two is five. No, like, not yet. It's <laughs> not pretty yet. close though. Uh, um, well, and I think something our pastor said this last Sunday about sin, he said that it, it it starts small. Like it always comes in subtly. Starts like a trickle. And it's then it just like up. a trickle. And then it starts then before river, you know it. It's a it's, river. Yep. Then it's a canyon. Yep. So don't, uh, we can't be looking for sin. Like it's like you said, no. waving these big flags and, and calling. Yep. It's it's not going to be that, um, I think blatant. Yeah. So I guess when we're teaching our children, we're basically, and it's just the beauty of God's word and how it, it really does slice through all of this philosophy and terminology. It's like, God is God. We are not my identity. I am made in his image. So what does that mean? This, his truth is not just a truth. He is the truth. The way Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So if we (laughs) agree with that, we submit to that. We then live under that authority. Then I guess you're saying that that plays out in how we parent and how we teach our children, I'm saying how to value others, how to teach these things to them. And I'll, we'll give some really quick vectors upon which you can travel as parents to teach these things to your kids. Right. Now you have to do the work. We can't do the work for you. Um, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with teaching parents the urgency of these, mm-hmm. these concepts and then giving them the tools to then teach Come their back. children in a way that their children can understand and then teach their children. So it's a discipling a discipler mentality. That's the whole point of going over this. And so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number four, quickly, we'll, we'll recap. Uh, number one, theme of postmodernism, just deconstruction of truth. Number two, identity is eternally sourced. Internally sourced. Internally sourced. Thank you. Number three is the denaturing of the natures themselves. <laughs> and then four, the destruction of the text. Hmm. And this is, uh, this is, we haven't, Basically, reading is unisogetically, not exegetically. We don't care what the author meant. We just care what we see in it. Mm. That's an extreme caricature of it, but that's basically it. And that, that happens most tragically in terms of scripture. What, what does Matthew 28 mean to you? Mm. Well, I don't care what it means to you. I want to know what Matthew meant. I want to know what God meant. <laughs> he used Matthew. Tell me something. Right. What was he telling me? Um, so that, that is the exegetical perspective. Isogetical is looking into it and reading into it things. Go ahead. It's just interesting when you, 
I mean, I feel like that was college for us, at least for some of the classes oh, I took. Absolutely, yeah. It was just like, how did this, like, what was this text? What did it mean? What, what was the actual, what did you draw from this film that you watched? What is, and so very much the emphasis was on self and not there again, there's no submission to authority. So it's not, right. how does who are this, they to, that's the irony of it is they, well, you're giving me a grade based on what? I gave you my truth. You're telling me my truth is no longer, is not good enough well, for your grade. I was gypped then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Argue yourself savvy, to an A. Savvy college kids can really, I think, <laughs> use this to their advantage. Um, so the the final theme is this, and this I think is the, probably the, the biggest one is it's the murder of the meta narrative. And what I mean by that is that what is a meta narrative? Okay. Uh, it is, let's see, simply defined a meta narrative is this, it's the explanatory theory of everything. <laughs> Okay. It's an explanation of everyday existence that transcends or flies above one's immediate experience. It's the story above the story. It's the context within which we live. Okay. So for Christians, the meta narrative is we have a God who created everything that God put mankind on planet earth. Mm. That God said, glorify me. Man did not glorify God. God said, I will still save you. God through mm. a number of events finally saved us. Mm. And now in that salvation and the resurrection of Christ, we are called to live lives that are driven by the spirit. Not like that is our meta narrative. I don't get to deconstruct it. That's the, it's truth. It is. Yeah. But, um, there's a guy by the name of what's his name? Uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard. Lyotard. <laughs> Say the French way. Leotard. He called postmodernism the incred, the incredulity toward meta narratives. I think this is the biggest thing that postmodernism hates as an ideology is the meta narrative that there's some grand thing that makes sense of everything. And this of course is the pendulum of modern modernism swinging the other way. Modernism set, sought to bring credence to the age of meta narratives and postmodernism said, we don't need those. Hmm. We don't need your structure. We need expression. We need expression and we need abstraction. So who needs school? Who needs education? Who needs any okay. of that? <laughs> so we've just spent the last 20 seven minutes talking over what is postmodernism, what are the big themes. Now, how do we disciple our children out of this? Okay. I want to give you some, like I said, some vectors, some paths upon which you can look and do your own investigating. Um, we won't be able to get into these here just for simple reasons. They're too complex. Uh, but how do we combat the deconstruction of truth? Okay. We give our children a firm doc doctrine of scripture. What is scripture? What does it mean? And, and not just what does it mean to me, but what, what truth is it giving me? Identity. How do we give them a firm vector for their identity? We give them a, a, a robust doctrine of man. Who are we as mankind created in God's image, but fallen and need mm. of a savior? Okay, I'm not basically good. I'm basically evil and I need God's grace. Okay. Identity. My identity is in God's definition of me and his ch choosing of me to pluck me out of the fray of eternity. Take a little break. Let's get the baby. We're back. Baby's here. <laughs> All right. So we went through truth, identity, and now natures. Okay, so the denaturing of natures is how do we combat that as parents? Well, we need to give our children a robust doctrine of God. Meaning? Did, who is God? What did he do in the creative act? What did he bake into create what into the creation? God, yeah. What is the nature of his creation too? As creator, we yeah. are the created things that God made. We need to understand who God is, what he did. How do we, how do we fight the the uh, destruction of the text, we need to give our children a, a robust hermeneutic. Now that's, I believe in our listeners. I believe in our viewers. A hermeneutic is basically this. It's how you interpret scripture. So we need to teach our children how to approach the text of scripture mm -hmm. and deal with it faithfully. 
You know, we take the text, we take the meaning from it. We don't put meaning into it. How do we sift through our own lenses? And then the fifth one, the meta narrative, the murder of the meta narrative. How do we battle that? I think there's probably a thousand ways to do it. I think giving our children a robust apologetic is very important in that regard, meaning that we, they need to know the answers, the biblical answers to life's big questions. Where are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Mm. Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Um, and that's an apologetic response to basically cosmological questions. So there's a lot, we, we like I said, we're at 150,000 feet here. Mm. We're flying up, you know, high and dry. We're not getting down into the muck and the mire of postmodernism. I made a lot of generalizations. My hope is that it's opened your eyes to these things. And, and hopefully as a parent, you're not just getting bored by this, but you're thinking, wow, I need to teach my children how to fight these, ide- these ideologies or this ideology of postmodernism and its various themes and implications, not just so they can survive, but so they can thrive and then teach their children the same thing. Because we're trying to build a generation of faithful dissidents in a culture that is averse to the Lordship of Christ. Mm. And we're praying that other parents get on board with that. And by the time this book is out, these thoughts will be hopefully a lot more refined, Lord willing. Uh, that said, should we pray? Mm-hmm. Okay. Father, thank you so much for the ability to think that you have given us uh, your word that is true and we can rely on your truth. We don't have to find or seek out some truth just in ourselves or even anywhere outside of you, but you are the arbiter of truth. You're the author of truth and you are the truth itself in Christ. Thank you for that. I pray that you'd help us be faithful disciples of our children. I help these parents that are listening that you would enliven their hearts to not feel overwhelmed by, um, this, the tide of postmodernism, or even the thought that of wrapping their heads around uh, some of these these big doctrines, Lord, I thank you that you've not made yourself inaccess- inaccessible to us, that we can actually know you, we can know what you mean, we can know what you want for us, and we can obey. So I pray that you'd enliven and embolden these parents to uh, seek out uh, godly answers that they may, may disciple their children faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you don't know Jesus, we want you to know Jesus. We have a website for you, thenewsisgood.com. He is the center of human history. He is the uh, the creator and sustainer of creation. It's by him, through him, and for him, all creation was made. And so we want you to know him. Go to thenewsisgood.com or find a friend who's a Christian, pray with them, ask them to read the Bible with you, find a good pastor. We trust that that will bear fruit in your life in the form of eternal salvation. Um. If you haven't yet, if you haven't considered yet, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Leave mm-hmm. a comment if it's helped you. If it's not helped you, um, pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pray for you. <laughs> hey, we just prayed for you, all right? Um, other than that, uh, I think we'll let him go. This episode's been going long. So this episode of Fierce Parenting is... In the can. See you again in seven days. Until next time. Stay fierce. Stay fierce.